Hey guys, welcome back to the Chalk Line Talk podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Bo Wills, today. We do not have uh, Kenny on for this one. So I am riding solo today for the Chalk Line Talk. So, uh, but still a really, uh, really good show today. We have an awesome guest with uh, Herb Lawrence uh, from 670 The Score. He's the executive producer of the Lawrence Home Show and a big White Sox fan. We also talked to MLB The Show uh, with Herb. So, a uh, really, really fun interview with Herb Lawrence. I had a really good time with that. Um, we also are going to do our What the Hell Happened to this guy. Um, I guess it's going to be, I'm going to do it. Um, but uh, I have a good one today, especially for White Sox fans. Uh, you guys will remember this guy. And uh, it did seem like he just kind of fell off the face of the earth a little bit. So uh, really, really good What the Hell Happened to this guy. Uh, I'm excited for this one. Um, along with that, we're also going to be talking about, uh, I'm going to be talking about the coronavirus, uh, and the spread, um, to some, some minor league facilities, some spring training facilities and, uh, what, what that means for baseball and what some teams are doing to combat that. And to begin, we're going to do some labor negotiation talk, which seems like it's, uh, Happens every time we, we have a podcast, we talk about that, but it's the most relevant news and uh, it's something that uh, we need to address. So happy Father's Day to the Chalk Line Talk listeners. And uh, how about we roll that intro? Well, to borrow a phrase from a man I uh, deeply admire, uh, I'd like to pull up a chair. Take me out to the ball game. Wow! You can't do it any better than that. 
All right, guys, that was a message from our sponsors at Anchor. Again, if you were looking to start your own podcast, visit anchor.fm slash start. That's anchor.fm slash start. So um, I want to start today by, you know, just kind of talking about um, some new developments that we've had over the past week or so with labor negotiations. So as I'm sure all you guys know, uh, the owners came back with an offer of about 60 games, full prorated. Um, and this is after the players have been claiming when and where. And they did reject the offer, and the owners decided not to counter that. And people are getting upset about, like, oh, you said when and where, and now all of a sudden it's not when and where. That's not the real story. The whole story was we want when and where just mandate the schedule and we'll go play not oh let's set up more counter offers and stuff and let's make sure that we get this right at that point the players had just given up faith and saying let's just you know mandate the season because the owners aren't going to come to an agreement with us that actually makes sense so you might as well mandate the schedule that's what one and where meant not oh we want to like we're going to just take any deal no just mandate the schedule that's what they're saying and so when the owners came back with 60 games, yes, it's a lot closer to what we're looking for, but we're still looking for that 65 to 70 game range, and we can still play those amount of games in the time given. Now, I don't know if you guys have been able to see, have been able to see, uh, you know, the idea of the grievance the players are going are gonna to probably put on the owners if they do mandate the 50-game schedule. Um, but that's kind of the whole reason why we still haven't gotten that mandated schedule yet is if the players file that grievance and it's a 50 game schedule, they're probably going to win because in the March 26th agreement, it was in good faith that those two sides would come to an agreement that met the qual or the criteria of playing the most games possible and 50 games obviously wouldn't be that um if you saw the trevor bauer tweet you guys know exactly what i'm talking about and the fact that 50 games given that time span wouldn't work but if it was delayed it would work so the owners are kind of trying to get around that by making it okay we'll do 60 games and as long as we come to an agreement they can't file that grievance but um that's kind of where we sit owners are taking a vote or the not the owners the players are taking a vote on whether to accept the 60 game off because the the owners have decided to quit negotiations if they decide not to we're going to go back to the mandated schedule only thing is i think the players lost their leverage with the 70 game offer because the 70 games pushes the boundary of whether or not you could fit that into the time frame that we have now. And if all of a sudden they decline the 60 game offer, we're demanding 70 and then they go to court with this grievance and the, you know, the arbitrator says 70 games was, was too much. Now all of a sudden the players lost their leverage because the 50 games, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't enough for sure. But 70 games was too much, and you guys couldn't agree on 60. So 
I think the players have kind of – they had the leverage. They were in good shape. And I think by rejecting the 60 games, I think 65 would have been fine. But I think 70 pushes the limit a little bit too far where they actually could lose in court if they tried to file a grievance. So I don't – I don't know. I, I think it's – I think we're actually moving towards baseball right now. I think this is a good sign because the players have lost a little bit of that leverage. I think they know that. That's they were they were kind of asking for a lot once they went to seventy, and I think this is a good sign. I really do, and it sounds weird. It sounds really weird, but I really do think that it's actually a positive sign um, that we're going to have some baseball here starting very soon. Um, but you know, we, we shall see about that. Um, I don't know where I stand on if we get the 50 game mandated schedule from Manfred and the guy, the players aren't getting even full prorated for 50 games, which I'm guessing they probably will. But if they don't, I really really, really have a bad feeling that we're not going to have a baseball season in 2022. Um, that CBA is coming up after not this season, but the following season. And if we can't even try and have decent, good faith negotiations between players and owners now, 2022 is going to be a shit show, folks. It's going to be a and I know I've used this term a lot. It's going to be the grandest pissing match in the history of baseball. And it sucks, especially as a White Sox fan with, you know, it looks like we're, we're starting to move in a positive direction, a lot of years of sustained success, um, and a lockout would be really detrimental to that progress that they were making. But – if they really can't come to an agreement and we get a mandated schedule, ooh, 2022 is up for grabs and in a really bad way. So it sucks. There's no other way to put it. It sucks. And although I think we're, we're going to get baseball, we're going at this point, we're getting baseball this year. I'll, with all the coronavirus cases aside, and I, I know it sounds like I'm being ignorant by saying that, but there's never been, like, at no point did either Manfred or the players, the owners, say that there needed to be zero cases for us to play a season. It was all about limiting it, we're quarantining so well, or or social distancing so well that even if one guy gets it, as long as he's quarantined and put away for a little while, we should, there should be no spread of it. And so I think baseball will be actually able to do that really well because there's not a lot of contact between their players. So I'm kind of pushing the coronavirus stuff aside, especially for baseball. But the fact that they can't come to an agreement, an actual agreement, not the fact that we're going to have a season or not, but a handshake, you know, agreement between the owners and players it scares the hell out of me for the future of this game especially in 2022 when that cba is up um but i mean 
well, you could talk for hours about just this subject and you know the development of it and where we're going to go and how the future of baseball looks but I don't really want to talk about it anymore because it, it a little bit is it is depressing and it's it's Father's Day, so let's not be depressing on Father's Day. So on that note, we're gonna move on to what the hell happened to this guy. Um and yeah, let's see if you guys can actually guess mine. All right, we have our what the hell happened to this guy for our typical Sunday podcast. Uh, again, like I was saying, this is an interesting one. And especially for White Sox fans, I think you guys will be able to get this. Because um, he was actually, I mean, he was an all-star with the White Sox. And he had one of the best years, especially like for me growing up. He had one of the best years in my history as a White Sox fan. And uh, defensively, he was not stellar. But offensively, he was a game changer, especially in the 2008 season. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you guys off a little bit about what this guy has done. Um, so he was with the White Sox from the years 2008 through the year 2011. Um, in those four years... He accumulated 107 homers and 320 RBIs. He had a season of 4.7 war and a season of 2.5 war. Um, offensively, he actually provided more value. That's mostly his defense. Uh, 2008, his uh, runs uh, above average, you know, park adjusted, which is all based on typically your weighted on base average, but there's some other factors going into that. Um, but his runs above average, he was a 36.4 in 2008. He actually had a negative 0.2 in 2009, even though in that 2009 season he was still able to accumulate 21 homers, uh, 56 RBIs, and only 99 games played. Um, most of that is because his on base was only a 323 that year, and his weighted runs greater plus was, you know, dead even at 100. So. His offensive value wasn't as high that year, even though he still had some decent power numbers. Um, but then back in 2010, he jumped back up to an 11.2 runs above average. And then in 2011, his final year with the White Sox, he bumped it back up to a 14.5 runs above average. But his career didn't end there. He ended up going to San Diego after that. He was traded to the Padres by the White Sox, um, where he would then put up a 146 weighted runs created plus. Uh, follow the next year by a 143 weighted runs created plus. Um, he was struggling with some injuries. He only played 86 games in 2012 and 82 games in 2013. Um, 2014 was when his career basically ended. He played only 50 games. Uh, I believe he had a knee injury that kind of ended things for him. And uh, that was it. He kind of bounced around some minor leagues, um, some like Dominican uh, winter leagues. Um, but that was it for this guy. And I don't know if you guys have been able to guess this quite yet. Um, he's an outfielder. And we are going to go with Carlos Quentin today. That is who this mystery man is, Carlos Quentin. What the hell happened to Carlos Quentin? So as I read, he was, you know, offensively he was a fantastic offensive player his strikeout rates 
uh, with the White Sox from 2008 to 2011, was never above 18. Uh, he walked about 10% of the time. His bat was actually relatively low. So the balls that he, you know, he kind of got screwed a little bit on his Babbitt, which shows that offensively he actually was an extremely valuable player. Um, drove in a good amount of runs. He never really played a lot of games. The most games he ever played in Chicago was 131, and that was actually the most games he ever played in the season ever. Um, and, again, his war wasn't fantastic, but offensively what he did, uh, his lowest season um, of weighted runs created plus between the years 2008 and 2013 was 100. So in one year, he was an average He was an average hitter. Every other year, he was a well above average hitter. 152 in 2008, 118 in 2010, 126 in 2011, 146 in 2012, and a 143 weighted runs created plus in 2013. So Carlos Quentin was a very, very above average major league hitter. He hit for high power numbers. He drove in runs at a pretty good rate considering the number of games that he actually did play. Um, I remember Carlos Quinton on that 2008 White Sox team, the last White Sox team to make it to the postseason. Um, he was an all-star, and he was one of the main reasons why that team was competitive. I mean, he hit 30, what, 36 homers that year? Yeah, 36 homers, drove in 100, scored 96 runs, uh, only struck out at a 14% clip while he walked at a nearly 12% clip. Um, no, he was actually incredible that year with the White Sox. And, um, I I think, I don't think he gets forgotten. I just don't think people remember actually what like happened to him. Like he was just all of a sudden gone and that has a lot to do with injuries. Um, he got hurt in 2011 with a shoulder injury. Um, then after that, the White Sox traded him to San Diego and, you know, 2012, he had an injury, um, 2013, he had an injury, 2014, and he had an injury. So there was never a year where Quentin was actually able to, um, stay healthy. It wasn't that they were trying to like, you know, load management, like you see in the NBA, he just was never actually healthy. And so he was never able to accumulate a lot of at-bats um, really to boost up those power numbers, except for in that 2008 season where he played 130 games and had 36 homers. So, I mean, on a 162-game pace, he, uh, Carlos Quentin would have been one of the most dominant hitters um, at the beginning part of this decade and the end part of the 2000s. And um, I think that gets missed a lot. And it sucks because whenever a guy's career is derailed due to injury, you start to forget about really how good of a player he was. And, you know, I mean, by 2014, he was out of the league. He had tried bouncing around, signed some minor league deals. He retired, then came back, tried to make a comeback, didn't work. And just like that, I mean, he was gone. I mean, his soft contact rate from 2008 to 2010, you know, averaged around a 15% while his medium to hard contact rate, you know, was right around 85 to 90. So, you know, dude hit the ball very hard. He was able to limit his ground ball rate and hit a lot of fly balls, which created him a lot of opportunities to hit home runs. And that 2011 season, the last season with the White Sox, uh, he hit fly balls 
53% of the time. So, um, you know, 53% of the time with a hard contact rate of around 30, that's going to create, you know, a, a good uh, a good possibility of hitting a home run and driving in runs. So, um, no, I, Carlos Quentin is my what the hell happened to this guy this week. He, um, yeah, again, that's kind of a guy who had a lot going for him and just couldn't seem to stay on the field, which, again, is, is kind of a tough situation, but that's the way sports go, and especially baseball. If you can't stay on the field, you can't accumulate statistics the way um, that you need to to keep make yourself valuable and get yourself into a big deal. So, um, no, but that is uh, my what the hell happened to this guy for this week. That is Carlos Quentin. White Sox fans uh, having a little moment of uh, reminiscence about Carlos Quentin. So that's what we got. Um, I'm going to move on next to our interview with Herb Lawrence. I hope you guys enjoy it. I had a great time interviewing Herb. And, uh, yeah. Here is our interview with Herb Lawrence. Hey, Herb, how you doing? Doing good. How are you doing, Bo? I'm all right. Uh, yeah, I mean, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate having you on. No problem. Thank you for the invite. No problem. Um, but before we get started with you, I would like to introduce who you are to our listeners. So today we have on uh, Mr. Herb Lawrence. He is the executive producer of the Lawrence Holmes Show on 670 to score. Uh, he's also the co-host of the Locked On Sox podcast with Chris Tannehill, and he is the co-host of 773 Sports, another podcast. So, uh, yeah, we're very happy to have Herb on, a big White Sox fan and uh, also a big baseball fan. So uh, thank you for coming on. No problem. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, I guess I didn't really tell you I was going to start with this, but um, I guess I will. You being on the radio – I mean, radio is a lot different now um, with no sports, um, everything, every, everything shut down. Um, would you mind like maybe just talking about how, how much different radio is right now, trying to talk about things that like aren't really happening? Uh, there, it's well, with more, it's, it's mostly we're coming together to form a plan about what in the two hours we can discuss. There's always angles that we can, capture that is not the actual games that are going on or not going on now so we're just trying to find the angles so if on a day there's something that happened the night before that we didn't get to or something uh media dropped the night before so our show goes on from noon to two there's a lot of things that happen after 2 p.m that the next day we can react to so we're trying to figure out um what the story is if we need to speak to somebody with a little bit more knowledge on the story and then finding that person to come on the air and then how to present it to the audience. Um, usually it's just Lawrence talking exactly how he feels about the subject. We don't take that many calls. So we're a unique show in that regard where we're just talking pretty much Lawrence talking to the whole, I mean, to the guest or myself, and then we're just trying to figure out, you know, what would be the most um, entertaining way to present the information that we do have. Because, you know, just to read it off a 
newspaper or an article is kind of boring. Anybody can do that. So we got to present it in a way where people find it entertaining and also enthralling to pique their interest, to keep the radio on. So that's how we're, you know, wired as far as trying to find the story and what's interesting to our audience that's out there. Yeah, and obviously you guys do a wonderful job because I think the Lawrence Home Show is is the best show on, on honestly on all radio. I'm biased from being from the Chicagoland area, but you know, in having been able to grow up listening to Lawrence, basically, I, I, that show is, um, I mean, that's 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 the radio history for me is listening to Lawrence Home Show. So um, obviously, you guys do a fantastic job and. Um, even during these times, even when things are different and there's not a lot going on, you still find ways to entertain the listeners. So um, I guess we'll move on to the most important thing that I want to talk about and uh, what we have most in common, Chicago White Sox. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, It sucks right now because it feels like we were moving towards, you know, the moment of success again, you know, sorry, sorry, I broke up a little bit. Oh, it's okay. Um, I said it felt like we were moving towards like a moment uh, of success again. Yeah, since like mm-hmm. 2008, it's just been uh, it's been tough. It feels like there's it's been you know treading water for a lot of those years, but it finally feels like we're moving in the right direction. And now you know the coronavirus happens, you know we're stuck again, um, but there's still there's still room for positive outlook. Um, what? What do you, if we have a shortened season, what are you looking forward to with the White Sox? Well, I think a shortened season plays into what the White Sox strengths are. Yeah, for sure. They have a bunch of players that they were going to be playing in July, you know, coming off of rehab starts. Michael Kopech and Carlos Rodon. Mm-hmm. You're going to have uh, Nick Madrigal go to the minor leagues probably at the beginning of the year and then come up in May or June or July. actually having him, um, them doing games with their service time. But this year, if they're doing a 60-game schedule, I'm not sure if service time manipulation is necessary. And you can just have your best 26 players on the roster. I don't know. They might even expand that to something like a 40-, 50-man thing where they have the taxi squad all ready to go playing in a alternate stadium like Prairie Granderson Field at UIC or somewhere in Northwestern. So, you know, the White Sox can really have some options here. Rookies usually hit a wall at somewhere around 100 games during a season because that's the most they've played probably in their lifetime. And with Robert on the team, Nick Madrigal on the team, and other young players, Dylan Cease will be his first full year of pitching this year. They'll give them the advantage of just going full bore, not worrying about having this – wall to be hit later on they could just go full steam ahead and maybe if they even wanted to didn't have to pitch guys who may be kind of uh skeptical not skeptical just not good last mm-hmm. year was a bad year by Ronaldo Lopez so if they have Kopech and Rodon available you can have Ronaldo Lopez be a guy out of the bullpen middle reliever or an emergency starter to give one of those guys a day off to help their rehab along further because with 60 games, a five-man rotation will be a little much. And I'm throwing my best five out there. And you sign Gio Gonzalez and you sign Dallas Keiko. So those spots are taken. So you got to fill up with Giolito, 
and then Cease maybe, and then think about Rodon or Kopech taking that fifth spot. So I think it falls in the advantage of the White Sox teams that are young like that um, can just have a time of their life. They could just be young and not worry about the grind, the marathon they always talk about, because this year it's going to be a sprint. Yeah, and this other thing I think that a lot of the time gets missed, especially with, you know, the White Sox in this shortened season, is one of the reasons why those rookies hit that wall is because, you know, people have seen them more. They see their tendencies. They know, you know, as for in, you know, hitting perspective, they know what they're going to chase. They know what they struggle with. Uh, they know what they are successful with, so they know how to pitch to them. Pitchers-wise, uh, you know, what's his go-to? Where does – what? you know, parts of the zone does he struggle to get to? Can he not get to the outside corner? Can he struggle to get to the inside corner? Um, but when you're, play, when, you, when you're playing the shortened season and there's not going to be as much video and there's not going to be as much intel on these guys, maybe that opens up a bigger opportunity for success for guys like Luis Robert and Nick Madrigal and Michael Kolpak and Dylan Cease and those guys who are younger, but, hey, nobody's really seen them before. Let's take advantage of that. Yeah, and also playing in front of empty stadiums, no um, crowds. There's going to be a dearth of people. And I know people have played, you know, as it was like high school ball or AAU ball or Legion ball, played in front of nobody before, and they still performed. I mean, Nick Magical's probably done that before. Uh, Louis Robert in his uh, Dominican summer leagues and all that stuff uh, coming up through the minors probably played in front of sparse crowds. So, the pressure of performing in front of the home folks is off. It's just playing baseball. It's just the game they grew up with, and it's no pressure. It's these other guys are on the team. They're boppers. They can do the job for me. I can just sit back and be the guy that I was called up to be and feel like I'm contributing to the team. So uh, I feel that also plays in the White Sox. Studying and such. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about the White Sox. Like, like, I think they got a beat on Eloy, and then Eloy got a beat on them last year. Like, they're like, slider, 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 slider. And he's like, okay, you're going to throw me slider. I'm going to dump that stuff to right field until you have to come into me and throw that fastball, and I'm going to rocket it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I think that's – I think the younger teams are going to surprise some people this year um, with – obviously, the time off isn't going to affect their freshness. The same way it might affect someone, a team that has more veteran guys who are used to the long preparation to get their bodies ready. But these young guys, they don't, they might not necessarily need that because they're just they're ready to go. So I think a lot of these young teams could surprise people. Like, and I know it sounds crazy, but a team like Kansas City, they're very young, and you know they're exciting. Maybe they come out and have a quick five, ten game. You know, we go nine and one. We get a couple sweeps and we get a couple series wins. All of a sudden, we're at the top of the AL Central because we had a really good, you know, two weeks. So, um, I'm not – obviously, Kansas City could be completely terrible. I'm just using that as an example. But, you know, those mm -hmm. young teams could really actually surprise some people. Yeah, I know some people are picking the Detroit Tigers as a surprise team because of the young pitching they have with the Casey Mize guy, um, just a, a young pitchers who are supposed to be good in a couple of years. And, you know, like we were talking about the White Sox, no pressure, uh, no tape on these guys really. 
it's going to be hard to pick up their stuff, especially with such a short season. And if I were the coaches on those teams, I wouldn't play them that much. I wouldn't play Casey Mize for 100 pitches a start. I'm going for 75 and ditching. Since you have so many other pitchers available in the White Sox case, you have Kopech and you want him to be successful. Also, he's coming off of Tommy John. So put him on a pitch limit. And then if you need to finish off the game with a guy that is a starter, like Ronaldo Lopez or Carlos Rodon, you could do that team up and have Michael Kopech be more effective. Hey, you have AB pitches. Whatever you do within those AD pitches, that's up to you. But go out and give us full bore AD pitches. No more after that. So, you know, he's going to be very effective for four or five innings, uh, depending on how he wants to attack hitters. If he wants to hit pitch for contact, cool. If he wants to go for the strikeouts during his 80 pitches, do your thing. But the less tape on Michael Kopech, the less wear and tear on that arm, same thing with Casey Mize and all these young pitchers, the better. This season is a season, I think, for the White Sox to experiment, but also to compete. So uh, I'm looking forward to it if they ever get a, a, a deal going. Yeah, I like it how you said like that. Right now. Yeah. I like how you said that. They, they both experiment and compete. I think that's a really good way to uh, to put that for what the White Sox should be doing. But uh, I'd mentioned you this in the DM that I sent you about coming on the podcast, and I, I think you're pretty excited to talk about this. You're mm-hmm. a big MLB The Show guy. Yes. Me and my co-host, who unfortunately isn't here for this interview, huge MLB The Show guy. So anytime we kind of get to talk about it, that's kind of fun. And oh, yeah. you don't you don't really hear like especially in the podcast circles, but even on like you know radio, not a lot of talk about like video games. So when you get to do it with somebody else that actually like loves to play it, I, I think that's awesome. Man, yeah, it's a fun game. Like I, uh, you know, when it first came out, I enjoyed it. I, MVP baseball back in the day was EA Sports game, and then they went exclusive with PlayStation and this. Uh, it will be the show, and I think the gameplay and all the stuff they do is pretty realistic because I get pissed at a loss just like a real <laughs> baseball game. Absolutely. And like, you know, my guys are swinging, flailing at side sliders that are two foot off the uh, off the plate. And I'm like, what the hell am I swinging at? What's going <laughs> on here? Like, I yeah, I get really mad at those games. Uh, the other day I had uh, – I think I just posted one today – where I was the Padres and I played versus the White Sox and it was a two one game in the ninth and who was it? It was um Luis Robert hits a rocket right off of the closer's foot, uh, Kirby Yates foot. Yates throws the first. Moncada was stealing at the time. He's sliding the second, then he throws, starts to go to third. Uh and then Hosmer throws him out for the last out. I was like, man, that is so White Sox to end the game like that. <laughs> I did like, see that. Know, I did see your video. That was that was really funny. Yeah, you're down one run. You're already in scoring position with a guy who's got premium speed and Yohan Mankata, and you're trying to run him. The next guy he, he had up was Eloy Jimenez. So I was like, <laughs> man, thank you, Jesus. This man is dumb on the base pass. I, I'm in for it. It was a bang-bang play, too. Now, are you a big Road to the Show guy? Because I've seen you post some stuff about, like, your, your Road to the Show player. How, like, overall-wise, what are we sitting at? I think, um, yeah, I've played Road to the Show more than uh, any other – version of that game so my player currently I've actually today wanted to start a new player because once you get to the level of re-signing that big time contract so I've my original player is in 2032 whoa he's like a 
<laughs> he's like an eight-year veteran now. So he signed a big-time contract with the Texas Rangers for seven years, like $200 million. There you and go. So it, after the first season of that, I just got bored because I'm like, the player can play. I mean, he's not great anymore. He's just average. He's like 31, 32, I forgot. But um, he's just a power hitter. And my, my – um, like, I do the dynamic – um, batter thing where okay, the yeah. level of hitting gets harder. So right now, the player is like an All Star Plus, or yeah, was it All Star Plus or Legend or something like that? Yeah, a Hall of Fame or Legend. And so it's really hard to hit. So I'm only hitting home runs that are the pitches that I guess pretty much. Anything yeah. that's not a guess pitch, I'm flailing at. If you throw it off speed, <laughs> I'm way out in front. So I'm sitting dead red pretty much the whole time. And so I just started a new one today. I'm going to see how I can get my guy back up to the minors. And I did a different position. Usually I go for left field first base because it's a less, the least amount of time where you can just be hitting and don't yeah. have to do the field. This one I did shortstop. Do you do uh, road to the show often? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a pitcher. So we're okay. like me and my co-host, we're actually, we're college baseball players. So we tried yeah. to model after ourselves a little bit. We're terrible at trying to do that, but so I, I'm a sidearm closer at my school, and so that's what my guy is in road to the show. Uh, unfortunately, I got stuck with the Marlins originally, so not a lot of save opportunities there. Um, so I, you know, I had the demand for the trade, and unfortunately, I went to Toronto, which didn't offer me really any boost because apparently, you know, the the Blue Jays traded away everybody. I don't even think they have Bichette anymore or Vlad Jr. So um, <laughs> I really have to show they're all gone. Yeah, I don't know what is I, – I, they don't want me to get any saves, so I won't be in any record books through MLB The Show. Uh, I mean, that's cool. I mean, that's real cool that you guys are actually college baseball players. That must be fun. I, I wish I uh, could have did that. I didn't play varsity baseball in, in high school, so to play in uh, college is uh, – how, how do you like that? It's fun. I mean, it's, you know, playing the game you love. I mean, that's – that's kind of what you're doing, and you're also getting an education at the same time. And so, yeah, it's you know it takes dedication and it takes a grind, but um, you know I love it, and uh, I wouldn't trade it. Uh, there was a time where I was uh, considering just going to school, and I'm glad I ended up playing baseball because I would have missed it. Oh yeah, I mean, I think I went to college for a real short period of time, but yeah, there's nothing like playing sports in college I started off playing at Carroll College and I guess it's called Carroll University now yep we're yeah. up yeah that's in Wisconsin right yeah it's in Waukesha and so um I like tore my hamstring like the first practice I ever had there and I was like man I really don't want to play football anymore I just want to <laughs> go to school and so that's what I did I just went to school and so yeah there's nothing better than you know being able to still play sports and organize sports and then being in college, I mean, college is a great, great time. So I hope you guys take advantage of it and have enjoy yourselves out there because um, when you get older, you start thinking about the college days. You're like, man, those are some good times. When Real you get times. older, when you get older, you start having some really long careers, and that'll be the show. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, exactly. But back down will be the show. Now, are you a franchise guy too? Do you like running some franchises? Let's see. I've done one. What is the uh, 
I forgot the 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 roads to the playoffs. The roads to October. Oh yeah, yeah, that one's cool too. I like that. Yeah, I've only I've only done that one. I haven't done the actual franchise mode yet. Is that is that one where you can do you could be the GM and such, or is that the one just you just play the game and play like a, a whole season? And that's hold, like, like that's like the GM one. So like you run like an actual franchise, like you're for like multiple years and stuff. Oh yeah, I haven't done that. I should get into that. This is why this game is so good. Like the, the home run derby thing, the Diamond Dynasty thing is it's just versatile. It's a lot of things that you will never get bored of that game. If you're stuck stuck on the road to the show, you go online and place a couple people. Um, so many versions of the game, and now the fantasy thing or the uh, franchise thing that sounds exciting. Yeah, we might have to get you on our. Uh on our uh, little system that we run here. I, we were talking with one of our guests last week, and he was interested in the idea. So maybe if we can get enough people, we can make it work. But what we do is we run a franchise with every single team. It takes takes a while, but, you know, it is fun. Um, but you run mm-hmm. a franchise with every single team. Um, and obviously you're trying to win the World Series as fast as possible. And once mm-hmm. you're done with all 30, you average it out. And you see who ended up having, like, we, me and my co-host do it, but uh, you see who ended up winning the World Series, like, the quickest on average through all 30 teams. Okay, from where they're at currently, is it like you start from a blank slate or you start from the current rosters and then go from there? You start with the current rosters in, okay. tw- in 2020. Okay. It's, it's a long process. It's difficult. And so you're just doing, like, scouting for future draft picks, checking out the minor leagues, yep, checking making out the major some, league team. Making some trades, trades and, stuff. and stuff, yep. Okay. Getting yeah. some free agents. And are the games just simulated then? Yeah, and so what we do is you simulate the entire regular season, and then in mm-hmm. the postseason you, like, quick manage the game. So, like, you're mm-hmm. not actually playing it, but you're not, like – just simming it so you can like make pitching changes and stuff like that you know actually playing in the game and then you get like so many innings where you can actually play so mm-hmm. i don't know it's we're hopefully now this would be the key and maybe we'll become very famous if we can make this work but if we can make this challenge popular and get a lot of people on it maybe it becomes interesting Hey, I'm in. I'm down for it. You guys, yeah, it sounds very interesting. And I want to, you know, if, if I can help in any way, I'll definitely be down. We might have to hold you I to love that. that game. We might have to hold you yeah. to that, Herb. Not going to lie. Oh. That, might be, that might be important to us. I'm down. Um, yeah, that's all I got. And that will be the show talk. Uh, that's always fun to talk about. Um, also, one more thing before I let you go here. Uh, you know, doing some Twitter research, and I was scrolling through your stuff. And I saw that you had tweeted something out about how because of the quarantine and because, like, you couldn't get a haircut, your hair was getting long enough to do some stuff with it. And you know what? I agree with that, man, because everybody's ripping on me for letting my hair grow longer. I think, you know, you can do more with it. It makes it more fun. Yeah, exactly. I'm, uh, I was thinking about it today. I picked my hair out as, like, a nice, decent Afro style. <laughs> um, I don't want to keep it there. But I want to, you know, have the options. I can go cornrows, which is old school. I don't, I don't think I can pull it off. Or I can do um, uh, a nice 360 waves, which is just, you know, just waves all the way through my hair. 
but I think I'm going to downshift for the stuff that is the least amount of maintenance, which is just a natural, just a, a tight, um, you know, probably like two all around, just a nice natural fro um, and line up the beard nice. So it just looks full and healthy because right now it's just long in the back and I don't like that. Like I wear a cap usually to work. And so um, my hair is usually just a little bit past that, maybe an inch past where the cap line in the back is. But now this thing is like way down my neck. It's just annoying. It's way too much hair and it's the summer. I sweat a lot and the hair gets uh, <laughs> stinky. So I have to do something with this thing. And I'm just trying to wait it out to make sure that I'm feeling comfortable when I'm in that barber chair. And I got to look and see who can do a nice uh, natural, not just any barber for the price that I need to be like $30, $40 would be solid. If he can hook, he or she could hook me up and look nice because I don't want me to grow this hair all the way out and then the barber mess my hair up and not give me what I want. <laughs> and then you lose all your <laughs> options. You lost yeah, all exactly. the options. That's what I'm talking exactly. about. It's all about options. When you grow it out, you have more options. And then all of a sudden, if the barber messes it up, you just lost all the options. Did you uh, shave yours yet, or are you keeping it long right now? I'm letting her go right now. It's too long okay. in the back, and it is bothering me a little bit. I'm not going to lie. A little bit bothering me in the back. But, you know – it. Being longer, it allows you know for a little more luscious, you know, a little luscious flow. So mm-hmm. it's you got know, a little show hair. Got that's the thing. You gotta have the show hair, man. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so yeah, it gives you options, and uh, you know, if you're as your youngster, you know, you still got the the hair, you still got a lot of it. So I would keep it as long as as you possibly want because eventually it will get thin, it will get shorter, and you won't be able to do what you need to do with them right now. Right now, I, it's the longest it's been probably in 30 years for me. So <laughs> I'm going to keep it a decent length. I'm not going to cut it all off until I feel like, all right, this quarantine's over, the whole uh, virus is gone, we got treatments and we got a uh, vaccine. Now I can go back to the regular herd. But uh, I'm feeling this a little bit, except for the length of the back. But otherwise, we're good to go. Yeah, I'm going to need this. Uh, good thing I have this recorded. And I'm going to have to share this with not only all my family, but all my friends who have been giving me, you know, lots of shit for the hair. Because, uh, oh, no. her, her, yeah, her Lawrence just told me to let it grow. So that's, you know, that's going to let them know. Yeah, your older family members should, should know on the male side, definitely. They should know, like, hey. As long as, you know, keep that hair long, keep it as long as it looks decent, you know, you can, you can brush it, put a comb through it and, and look at, and uh, have a, go out to Sunday dinner or something like that, still looking presentable. It's all good. Yep. That's perfect. Well, hey, Herb, thank you so much for coming on. That was really fun. Um, I had a great time talking with you, talking White Sox, and will be the show. And uh, no question about it, I'd love to have you back on another time. Oh, I'm available, you know, whenever you guys want to, I usually have some time available. So, yeah, we you got a hold of me this time. So, definitely, we'll uh, keep in touch. Give me uh, information on that MLB The Show franchise. I'm down. And so, whenever you guys need me, I'm here. All right, perfect. Yeah, thank you so much, Herb. Uh, hopefully, and really hopefully, next time we talk, there's some real White Sox baseball to be talked about. Oh, it'll be so great. Yeah, that would be fantastic. 
that's the only thing that's missing this summer is White Sox baseball. It's we know our years like all the crap that we've gone through these couple of years, and now we're gonna have baseball be postponed. No, no, we need some White Sox baseball because they're actually gonna be good this year or next year. We know that. So also, actually, one uh, more thing before I let you go. Did you see the new apparel that they just released out? The, like the thirty fifth and Shield stuff. Mm-hmm. That is I, sick. Sorry, I just heard the end of it right there. I've seen the 35th of Shields thing at Sox Fest. You know, it's the difference between our um, generations. I like the style, but the only thing, they're all snapbacks. Like, when I grew up, they snapbacks were like death. If you came to school with a snapback, people would clown you for the whole day. So <laughs> that's yeah. been in mine and Chris Tannehill's, like, psyche our whole lifetimes like we got to get a fitted no matter what and if they can get that 35th and shields especially the hats as a snap as a fitted mercy we'll get those because the style is right it looks yeah that's neat. that's it dope fresh that's yeah. that new stuff is i like i right when i saw it i was like absolutely yes are you a you guys a snapback guys uh, it depends. I, I like collecting hats, so I have, like, a mixture of snapbacks and fitteds. Um, mm-hmm. but I have a White Sox hat that's snapback. I have White Sox hat that's fitted. It, you know, depends on the day, honestly. I, especially especially I with the it, new show hair, you know. That's really important. Yeah, exactly. You need to have a little, uh, little, uh, room back there. But, like, I'm back in the day, I think it was the trucker hat phenomenon when that happened that's when it switched from fitted to back to snapbacks like when people all had those those trucker hats and they're like this is a good style and then our fitted uh generation went to by the wayside but we still to this day we can't go anywhere without a 59 fit 59 50 i go with the seven and one half or a seven and five eighths especially now with the hair but yeah i can't do the snapback out <laughs> Like it, my head, it just looks weird on my head too because I got a huge head. So I need something that's big yeah, feel, and then it that. covers this whole dome. Yep, I feel that. All right, well, Herb, thank you so much. Uh, we'll love to have you back, and uh, that was that was awesome. So great talking yeah, to you, man. Thank you very much, Bo. All right, have a good one, man. You too. Bye. All right, guys, that was our interview with Herb Lawrence. Um, that was also sponsored by Anchor. Uh, I had a great time talking with Herb about White Sox, little MLB The Show talking there. Also somehow started talking about hair. Um, maybe got to let that luscious flow go sometimes. So, um, yeah, but I want to address the coronavirus stuff uh, going on in Major League Baseball. We've seen it spread a little bit um, through the NFL. We saw the Ezekiel Elliott news come out about a week ago um some guys at the university of houston um i mean a lot of, in florida had four thousand cases overnight um but you know being in florida we saw the phillies have eight staffers uh diagnosed with the coronavirus um some of those were players some of those were uh employees um then we saw a blue jays player we don't know if he's tested positive yet but he was hanging out with some of those Phillies players that had tested positive and uh, he was showing symptoms. Um, we've also seen now Mayor, Mayor Cuomo of New York had just come out and said 
that the Mets and the Yankees will be moving their spring training facilities uh, to New York uh, and, and moving out of Florida um, because of Florida essentially being a hot spot right now for coronavirus. And we've also seen a lot of teams follow suit. Um, and it seems like all 30 teams are going to go back to their home, uh, home states, home cities, and do um, their spring training there. Um, we don't know about Toronto yet because Toronto is in Canada. And uh, I don't know. They, they haven't confirmed what Toronto is doing yet. Bob Nightingale seemed to think Toronto would go to Tampa, which has to make the most – like, ridiculous claim I've seen in a while. And maybe there's some truth to it, but I, I need someone to explain to me how Florida's a hot spot and we can't go back to Toronto. So of all the places where maybe we could share a stadium, let's go to Tampa, Florida, the state that is rising the most in the number of cases in the country. Like, how does that make any sense? Like, why not go to, like, a Midwestern state where the cases are dropping? Go share with the White Sox. Go to New York and share with the Yankees and the Mets. Why would you go to Florida? Like, that that boggles my mind. Like, hey, we want to go where it's somewhere. Like, let's go somewhere warm. Oh, perfect. Let's go vacation in Vancouver. No. That defeats the purpose of trying to go somewhere warm. That's the same thing here. The whole idea of moving your facility is that we're going to isolate everybody and stay in a place where we're not at the risk of getting the virus. But, hey, let's go to Florida to do that. That's the dumbest thing that I've heard in a long time. Uh, I, if they do that, I don't know how that makes any sense whatsoever. Um, like. I'm baffled by that. And I would like to hear some people's opinions on why they would choose to go to Tampa. Maybe Tampa is the only one that's offered it to them. I don't know. But that seems like it would be completely defying the logic here of, of trying to not get the virus and spread it to your people by going to a place that, like, doesn't have cases. Oh man, that doesn't make that makes zero sense. But um, yeah, off off the Blue Jays topic, I guess it sound it sounds like Major League Baseball could actually use the coronavirus as like a way to try and get out of this playing this season, which would probably it, I don't again, this virus is real. It's scary. It's dangerous. People are dying. But as long as you follow safe protocols, like they've already agreed on their, their safety protocols. As long as you're following these protocols and you're isolating and you're self-quarantining and you're social distancing, you shouldn't have a problem, especially in this sport where there's no contact. I mean, you don't have to touch people, really. Laying a tag on somebody, you do it with a glove. So, I don't know. Uh, I honestly, I don't know. I think that uh, I think that if they do it the right way and they host things, they host events in places that have followed the guidelines and we're seeing declines, 
that we should be in good shape. And as long as they follow their safety protocols of we're social distancing, we're, we're, if, if a guy gets it, he's immediately gone. If they're showing symptoms, we're testing every day. I don't see how it will become an outbreak within the league. Um, but, like, when guys in Florida are hanging out and they're from two different teams and then they're going back to their spring training facilities and there's no uh, – I mean, there's n- – no guideline with that if like right now there's no guideline saying the guy from the Phillies can't go hang out with the guy from the Blue Jays which is you know the reason why this might spread right now but in season or the you know the 14 days before we start a season as long as everybody's isolated and you know doing what they're supposed to do to make sure this season runs I don't see how there would be an outbreak and so for them to try and claim that you know, we can't have the season because of it, I, I think is a cop-out because there's a, lot of, there's a lot of ways that Major League Baseball, the players, and uh, the league itself can make this a very safe environment for these guys. Um, and, I mean, look what the NBA has done. They've made sure they've given everybody separate hotel rooms. They've used multiple hotels. They're keeping everybody isolated, no fans. Like, their, their plan seems like a really solid plan, although it is in Florida. But if they can keep everybody isolated and make sure that nobody else is around them, then they should be fine. Only thing about basketball is a lot of guys are touching each other. And so their testing is more important. Okay, not more important. It's, it's extremely vital in basketball because if one guy has it and he's showing symptoms, like all he's got to do is touch a guy on a foul or, I mean, touching the same basketball. But baseball is completely different. As long as everybody is following their guidelines and you're testing every day, there's such limited contact in that sport. I don't really see how uh, it, it would be like a death sentence for Major League Baseball if like one person got coronavirus. Um, and yeah, now it would suck if you're like the Angels and Mike Trout or Anthony Rendon gets it. Like, oh, no. You know, those guys are our team. We're spending a quarter of our payroll on Mike Trout, and all of a sudden, he's gone. Like, what do we do? But it's the same thing as being on the disabled list. If Mike Trout sprained his ankle and he was out for, you know, a couple weeks, it's the same thing as – and now, obviously, not the same thing, but in this case, it's the same thing as getting the coronavirus because you're out for your 14 days. Um, so, yeah, it sucks, but it's just like adding another thing to – uh, possible injury list that teams go through every single year, every single day. So, no, but that's the update on the coronavirus situation in Major League Baseball. Um, and that's actually all we have for you today. Uh, unfortunately, Kenny couldn't make it uh, to this airing. Um, he will be back on Wednesday. Uh, we have a fantastic week ahead. For you guys, Wednesday is our Fangraphs episode. Uh, Check it out. We'll have uh, two Fangraphs writers on the show. Um, That's going to be interesting talk. For a lot of you analytical people, that's going to be a really uh, cool episode. Um, We're going to have a great time with that, you know, talking analytics and and talking baseball with uh, Dan and Ben Clemens. So, Uh, and Sunday... We are going to be airing an interview with Ethan Moore. He is a uh, – he's at Cal Poly. 
He's a data science, baseball and data scientist uh, over there. He just released a really awesome article about a study that he'd been doing about uh, pitch prediction and uh, computation that he'd been running to do some pitch prediction. So, yes, awesome episodes upcoming this week. Uh, tune in for those. But for today, that's all I got. All I got for you guys. So, uh, thank you for coming. Uh, appreciate it. Um, and you know, to end it, chalk line talk, baby. Well, to borrow a phrase from a man I uh, deeply admire, uh, I'd like to pull up a chair. Take me out to the ball game.